Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. You're perfect my, now. My neck. My, my neck. Perfect? Oh, bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. Go ahead, bang on it. Beautiful. What a nickel. It's empty. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. No, no heart? heart? No heart. All hollow. <laughs> When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his mettle, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental regarding love and art. I'd be friends with the sparrows, and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. a.m. You are the brave who made it out in the slushy rain in the icy parking lot that is Eagle River. So thank you guys for being brave enough to be here. Uh, I'm super excited. Uh, welcome you guys who are, uh, can we welcome those who are watching online with us this morning? Uh, thank you guys. There may be a few more this morning because of the weather, but we're happy you are here. Um, we are kicking off a new sermon series uh, called Tin Man. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but today we want to recognize that it is Veterans Day. Uh, we celebrate it on the 11th of November because in 1918, the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month, uh, an armistice or treaty was signed to end what, in effect, World War I and the hostilities there. And it was originally set up as Armistice Day to honor those who had served in the Great War, but since has been expanded to include all those who have served uh, our country. And so we want to ask you, uh, if you are a veteran with us this morning, uh, we would love to have you. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird, but we do want to ask you to stand up where you are uh, just for a moment so that we can honor and recognize uh, what you have done for our country. So if you are a veteran, let's just say thank you to you guys and go ahead and stand up. All right. Thank you guys so much. And ladies. Yeah, we're kicking off a new series, and uh, Jesus' entire ministry maybe could be summed up with one word, and that word would be compassion. But then we look around at a world, and we, we find that it's compassionless so often. And the reality is that we can't give what we haven't yet received ourselves. And so in this series, we want to turn compassion upside down a little bit and consider that maybe we're the poor, that we're the destitute or the exiled, and look for the heart of Jesus and, and what compassion looks like there. Uh, for the heart that he has for the world. Uh, we're going to get right into it. So if you have uh, a Bible with you, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 29. Um, 
If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to have it on the screen behind us. You can use the ACF app. Uh, you can use Uversion app. Uh, if you look down, if you're not in the front rows, you can look down below on uh, the seat in front of you, and there may be a Bible somewhere nearby. You can grab that Bible. If you don't have one at home, um, then take that Bible, write your name in it, and it's our gift to you. We want everyone to have the Word of God and to be able to, to read it themselves. Um, so if you have one, um, or if you just want to watch on the screen, we're going to be starting Luke chapter 10. Uh, actually, we're going to start in verse 25. I may have said 29, but we're starting in verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love it. And I want to just make a couple of observations before we dig in a little bit this morning to this passage. The first is it starts off with, and behold, and we can be tempted to think that this is coming from something else that's happening before it in the story uh, in the book of Luke here, but it really isn't. Uh, and behold is, is kind of like a modern day way of saying, hey, 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 and check it out. Another thing that Jesus did is this. Um, it's just, it's a, a completely separate thought is what's going on here. Just a way of saying, hey, I want to include this as another thing that happened in the interactions of Jesus when he was here on earth. So I want to tell you what happened. And so one day a lawyer came, and so we might be thinking this guy in a suit with a briefcase, and he's on his way to like court uh, because there's been a car accident or something, and it's not that kind of lawyer. It's actually what they're referring to by a lawyer here is somebody who was an expert in the Jewish law, the Jewish customs. And so this guy would have been a teacher, uh, probably somewhere in a local synagogue or the temple, and he would have known his stuff. And he comes out, and we might think because it says to test Jesus that he's coming out with some animosity, and we're not—the language really doesn't to, uh, play that out. What we see, though, is that he may be coming out to see, like, okay, he's heard Jesus, he's a, he's a popular teacher, and he wants to kind of push back a little bit. See, does Jesus know his stuff? So he comes out with this question to kind of put Jesus on the spot— to maybe even show others that how much the lawyer really knows. And he says, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, instead of just answering, he's like, well, you're an expert, basically. Won't you tell us what you see in the Old Testament law since you've studied it? And so he says, well, basically, to sum it up, you got to love God and you got to love your neighbor, your other people around you. And Jesus says, you nailed it. Go and do those things and you'll live. The lawyer maybe is a little uncomfortable because maybe in his mind he's thinking, well, I'm not sure I'm actually doing those things, but I want people to know that I'm doing those things. I want to look, I want to be able to walk away from this knowing that I'm okay in the law. So he's like, well, well, who's really my neighbor? So he tries to limit who his neighbor might be is his question. Like if I can get Jesus to maybe define like my neighbor really isn't people I don't like or my neighbor isn't people that I have, I have never seen before. Or maybe my, my neighbor are, you know, the people right next to me, but not the, the people just beyond that. So he wants to kind of limit that so that he can justify himself in, in front of Jesus and really in his own heart. I think he wants to walk away looking righteous. And Jesus responds, and we're going to read this in just a second, with probably arguably one of the most popular passages in Scripture. It's where we get the term Good Samaritan, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so Jesus tells a parable in response to the question of who is my neighbor that the lawyer posts to him. And a parable is just a story with a point. It's a teaching story. So uh, let's read on. And in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30, this is Jesus' response to who is my neighbor. 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So right away, it's, well, how far is that? What does that mean? I don't live over um, in Israel, so I'm not quite sure. It's 15 miles approximately from Jerusalem to Jericho. So like from here to Anchorage, just picture you're walking. So he's telling a story, and that's kind of the context. And the man, who, he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side, passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So then Jesus poses this question after he tells this story, which has a very directed point. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. Uh, But he does say, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus answers his question, but he does it in a way that gets to the heart of the issue. Jesus digs down deep here. Um, and things you may not, may not know, or maybe you have, this is a popular passage to be preached from. Um, and we're going to kind of start here, but we're going to move on um, pretty quickly. But we want to, to see what's here. Uh, the, the people in the story, the guy who fell to the robbers, who got beat up, probably a Jewish gentleman, if he's going between Jericho and Jerusalem, the priest, definitely a Jewish person who was in basically like a pastor of the time, a leader in the church uh, at the time. And then you've got the Levite who would be like the behind the scenes kind of person making sure temple uh, worship happens appropriately, uh, taking care of the sacred, uh, the, the sacred part of worship and those things. So definitely a Jewish person as well. And then you have a Samaritan who comes by. And G- this, it's not by accident that Jesus uses these people Uh, in this story. Uh, The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along well. Uh, The the Jews, they they believed that God had given them the law, that they had had gotten the the Mosaic law way back uh, uh, from their forefathers and had handed down and they kept very good track of how that happened. They were very proud of that. They believed that that the only worship could happen in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believed they could worship somewhere else. Uh, The Samaritans also uh, intermarried with non-Jews, and at the time that was taboo. So Jewish people hated them, and and they reciprocated by just as much hate right back. So they didn't like each other at all. There was zero love loss between these two people, uh, groups of people. But it's the Samaritan Jesus makes up in the story, or or, or, uh, describes in the story, who uh, stops and renders aid and goes above and beyond. and really is the the person who who loves the, the, the person the most. So Boom. I think if Jesus had a microphone, it'd be like, that's where he would drop it at the time. But it just, it, it stops the conversation. And then the, the stops the conversation there and then moves right on to other things happening in the book of Luke. But it does. It drives right to our heart. And before we get too, like, negative on the lawyer, trying to avoid really or maybe redefine who my neighbor is, because he really wants to know, I think, the same thing we do. How little can I love the people around me sometimes? This is just maybe my own heart. So if it applies to you, then okay. But I know it doesn't apply. You guys are super nice. But I want to know how little can I do and still meet the requirements that God says to love God and to love my neighbor? I want to know my neighbor. Define that for me so that I can then do it well. does, Does it count that I'm loving my neighbor, that I'm one of the only people that waves to people as I'm in the car driving past their houses? 
if they're on the side of the road. I do that. I, I spread the love of Jesus all the time through my neighborhood like that. Is it, I, know, I know who my neighbors are on each side of me. They, they, I know the names of their dogs. But once beyond that, not so much. And, and definitely three or four houses down, I have no clue uh, who those folks are. But do I need to? I, I don't know. Um, sometimes I think I want to define that. So I can relate to the lawyer trying to define this a little bit because I also want to define that. Does it include the person that I ask, you know, how you're doing to the, the person at Fred Meyer's checking my groceries out? And they open up a little bit. And I'm like, ooh, no, no, no. I just was being polite. I, I really don't want to know in the heart of hearts. I got, other th- I got kids that I got to go deal with. You know, I, I'm busy. Um, so how we answer this really is important because it's going to reveal the state of our heart before God. And I think if I'm honest, I'm going to answer maybe in my heart this way. I do more than a lot of people, so I think I'm okay. And I can always look around, even in this beautiful crowd, and find some people doing less than me so that I can then feel better about myself and how much I'm doing. So I have kids, and this is my one-time obligatory kid story for the sermon because, that, let's face it, if you have kids, your life revolves around trying to manage these little ones in your house. So we have chores for my kids. We give them chores that they have to do. <clears throat> they would say because I'm lazy and I'm mean and, I, and I'm hurtful. But the reality is it's because I care about their character development. I want them to develop responsibility and to become productive citizens in, in this world, right? Um, but I can guarantee you that there are, there, are, there are two reactions when I ask them to do their chores. And their chores are, the, let me just define real quickly what we're talking here. I'm not asking them to like split a quart of wood every night before they go to bed. When we eat a meal, we want the table cleared off. So like all the condiments put back in the refrigerator, the, the plates like rinsed off, put in a dishwasher that will actually wash the dishes for you. Sweep the floor after you wipe the counters and the table down of all the goo and stuff that evidently only I put on the table. Uh, not my kids, they're super clean, so it's not their mess. But that's, that's what we're asking them to do. And, and they, I can guarantee there's two responses I get from my kids. The first one is the writhing and screaming and accusing me of being a slave driver um, that none of, the, none of their friends have to do this, but only me and my, you know, their, their family, and I'm unique as a dad asking my kids to do these chores. Or they're going to point out how little their sisters are doing or have done in comparison to the huge amount that they have currently done to lift the finger to help the family. And I just want to know, none of these responses like, like even diverts my resolve whatsoever. I'm super stubborn. My kids are super stubborn. And we are always locked in a battle whose will is stronger. Um, I will dig in. And the question that comes to mind then when they say, have you, have you noticed how little my sisters have done? Like they're not doing anything. I'm doing, well, I'm not doing anything either, but they're not doing, they're doing even less anything than I am is I, I look them in the, the eyes and I will say, it doesn't matter what I ask your sisters to do or what they're doing. It only matters what I've asked you to do. I know, I become my parents, right? And that's God's great like payback in life is that you get to be, be your parents on the other side. Like, so now I, I hear my, vo- my dad's voice in what I'm telling my kids because I remember being that kid and hearing those words and now I'm giving them right back and I'm having to deal with the internal stress that that creates. So... Yeah, we're right in the middle of it at our household. Um, you guys, if, I will take parenting tips all day long on how to overcome this because we have, we have struggled. But I think we, we respond the same way. I think if we have to answer the question, am I loving my neighbor? 
Well. Am I loving the people around me? Well. It can come down to, I, I think I'm doing pretty good compared to somebody else. But just like Jesus' question, or the answer to the question of who's my neighbor, and he gives a story, and he says, go and do likewise. Jesus shines a bright light on the condition of our heart when we are faced with the opportunity to show compassion. The attitude in our heart and the action that follows matters to God a lot. As we draw near to Jesus, who we really are, that self we, we maybe sometimes try to hide, that light comes into the dark places and we're faced with the, the good parts of our character and the negative parts of our character. And we have to interact with that. And so it really brings up this question for me. And again, I know it doesn't, this is not on your mind because you guys are, are doing so well at this, um, but it's just me. So the question I have is, why do I feel so compassionless so much of the time? Why do I, why do I feel so compassionless toward others? Because I do. If I, if I want to be honest with you up front here, I do. And I think there's, I came up with three reasons for me. Maybe you can relate. The first one is it's going to cost you time, energy, or money. If you engage in showing compassion to helping the hurting, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy or money or multiples of those things. The second reason that I, I avoid is uh, showing compassion is helping others is messy and difficult. It's a lot easier when you hear that problem, kind of like I was telling, like, talking about in, the, in front of the checker, and they share a little bit too much, and I just want to deflect and then move on, right? I just want to have the appearance maybe. I, I dabbled with compassion, but I really didn't want to engage because I know if I do, there can be a huge story. There can be obligations that come from that. It can get messy, and it can be hard. To walk through a situation with somebody, it doesn't just get resolved because I listened one time. It can be an ongoing issue for years. And the last one, uh, the reason that for me that I find that I'm not showing compassion is I already gave it the office. Like, I don't, for me, this is like, this is like really real, really real. I, I work here at ACF Church, so this is my job. And I feel like I serve behind the scenes a lot. And so it's easy for me when I go home, drive through my neighborhood, or go out in the community to say, I've already given all of my time and energy that I can. And so I'm, I'm doing okay. I don't have enough to give. I've already helped my neighbors, and I don't need to do anything different. Maybe you have the same thing. I, you know, kind of like a Girl Scout cookies. Like you, someone, co-worker sells them to you, and then you have to go walking by into Fred Meyers and Three Bears and cars for the next few months because... These awesome salesmen are trying to convince you you need more. And you're like, no, 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 I already bought some. Well, let's be honest. We always buy more anyway because you can always use more. They freeze wonderfully. So, but we do the same thing, I think, with compassion. I've already helped somebody this month. It was messy. It cost me time and energy. It messed up my schedule. I'm, I, can't, I can't fit you in this month. Check back next month. Maybe I'll have some compassion for you then. But I want to be super clear about what compassion, what we're talking about um, if we feel what others feel, if we can put ourselves in their shoes, we'll call that empathy. If we have pity on their situation, if we look at what's going on and we're like, oh, that's really horrible, that's sympathy. But if we see the need and we respond with our heart and do something about it, that's compassion. And that's what I believe God is calling us to because 
Compassion without action is nothing more than wishful thinking. We can feel for the needs of others all all day long, and it really makes no difference in their lives. And that's the point of Jesus' story, I think, about the Good Samaritan, is to move us to action. You don't have to turn there, but I want to refer to it real quick, is James chapter 2, starting verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's a definite correlation to our faith before God and having actions that result from that. And developing a heart for compassion goes right along with that. I believe that God has designed every person on this planet to see a need, to feel the need, and to respond with action towards the need. And not sidetrack that somewhere. That that's, that's a process that should complete. When we're made aware of a need, we should feel for it. Our heart should engage. And then we should do something about it. Whatever it is that we can do. But the reality is a lack of compassion for those around us is an indicator that we've disconnected from God. This one stepped on my toes, so if it, it may step on yours a little bit too. And that's okay. Be, uncomfortable with, be comfortable with the uncomfortableness uh, for a moment. Just like if you're driving your car and a light comes on the dashboard, it's an indicator that something in your car's system, there's, there's something that needs attention. There's something that has gone wrong and needs to be addressed. If you're finding yourself with a lack of compassion in your heart for those around you, the indicator light is telling you that you have disconnected from God. Again, I don't have to turn there, but I do want to refer to 1 John 3, and I'm going to start in verse 17. It says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this brings up a really big point. Like if, if, and I've already admitted, kind of laid myself open and said that I'll, oftentimes I have a lack of compassion for those around me. Then it brings up another question is how do I develop compassion for other people in my heart? How do, how do I go about doing that? And I have some practical suggestions today. And the first step is to draw near to God, to lean in to your relationship with God. Well, how do you do that? And the first thing is to ask God for it. And it sounds weird, whether it's in your head or you verbally express it or both. Ask God, God, I find myself just like wanting to ignore what's going on around me. I have all the excuses for not engaging the people that are around me that have needs and that are hurting. Would you give me a soft heart? Would you give me your heart for these people? Pray that prayer. Ask God for it. I believe it's one he wants to answer in your heart. On the second uh, way to how um, to uh, develop a heart with compassion is spending time daily listening to God. Pastor Brian last week went through a, what we call here a soap, and our team does this regularly. Uh, we talk about what we're, what we're soaping. 
and, and he walked everyone through. And if you were here, you, you got a chance to, to do one yourself and to get started on that. So you saw what it was. And it really, it's an acronym that stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So you read a scripture, you observe what's there, you understand it a little bit. Then you, how does this apply to me? How, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? What is, what is this scripture encouraging me to do? And then you pray about it. God, help me. Or thank you for showing me this. But spending time regularly with God. And I think being part of a community where you can ask questions, hard questions, real questions from your heart, and interact with those answers and to truly find those answers. And, and being part of ACF is, is a great start. And I would say even a better step for that is get involved with one of our life groups so that you can ask deeper questions uh, and, and be open a little bit more with that. Because it can be hard in a big setting like this to find the answers you may be looking for. I played soccer when I was in middle school. Uh, I played Little League Baseball too, but I remember soccer vividly because we only had games a couple of times a month. And that's what every kid who joins soccer wants to do is play in the game, right? I want to be a superstar. I, want to score, I just want to score goals. I really don't want to do any of the other stuff. But practices were three times a week. So with games only a couple times a month, but yet practices three times a week, practices were running around the, the, the outer field. And then when the coach got bored and didn't know what else to do, we ran some more. And then we did sprint drills and just some conditioning, and we did ball control stuff. We did shooting drills, passing drills. We ran different plays and uh, alternated positions so you got different perspective on things. Um, a lot of stuff that's, yes, it helps you play in the game, uh, but didn't seem related. I just, as kids, you just want to play. Like, I just want to be in the game. But you know, as well as I do, if you don't go through the practice, the mundane, everyday habit of the practice to get conditioned, you can't compete in the game. And, and we finally figured that out. I figured that out way, way long after I quit soccer, but the same is true in our lives. If we are not spending time daily connected with the God who created us, seeking his heart, we're going to miss great opportunities to show God's love to the people around us when they present themselves in our lives. We won't be ready because we haven't prepared. So connecting with God is super important. And a second way that I think we can develop compassion in our hearts is to remember Remember the times when you received care and compassion and concern from other people, when you needed it the most, when you were felt alone and isolated, and someone stepped into the mess and walked with you through it. But I also, and I want to focus on this one uh, for a, a few moments with you. Remember the times when you didn't get compassion, when you were alone and isolated and rejected and hurt, Remember those times, and that sounds really counterintuitive and really hard to do, but there's a truth here. Remembering our past hurts can drive us to passionate care for those who are being neglected and mistreated. I want to take a look at a, a passage from Scripture that we don't normally preach from. It's, we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy, which is a funny-sounding book, um, but it means in Hebrew, second law, and it really just retells um, in many ways and introduces some new ideas, but it, it retells the, the story of the, Egyptian, or the Israelites coming out of the nation of Egypt as slaves, wandering in the desert, and then starting to establish themselves as their own unique country, their own unique people, uh, in the midst of a world that had very counterintuitive or uh, anti-God values. 
God was setting down some very clear, strict guidelines to help them rule and manage what was going on in their lives. So Deuteronomy, we're going to start in, uh, we're going to look at chapter 24 and start in verse 19. And you've got to remember that Israel was an agricultural society by and large. And so the, all these examples that we're going to look at would relate directly to them and a lot of their uh, daily routine. doesn't so much for us unless you're, you're, you have grown up in that environment. Um, but we can certainly put our heads back into that idea if you were relying on crops and trees and uh, the production of those things. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheath in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Verse 20, when you beat the olive tree, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And catch this in verse 22. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. I just want to sum this up. You were treated stingy when you were slaves in Egypt. You were treated horribly. When you have the opportunity to bless people, do it. Don't be stingy. Be generous so that God can bless you. That's, what, that's what's being told in Deuteronomy. Remember back to a time when you were mistreated the worst and then determined to not do that again. Don't continue that in other people. A PC way of saying it nowadays would be, be the change that you want to see in the world around you. You may have heard that. I've heard that before. Be the change. So when I was 23, I moved up to Colorado Springs, and I, it was back in the day where you, you, couldn't have the, you didn't have the internet, um, so... Uh, the internet was like literally the thing Brian played a few weeks ago where it had the, the phone, or maybe Josh, I think Pastor Josh played it, the uh, modem sound that nobody, you know, under 30 has a clue what it is. But so we didn't have that. So I had to find an apartment. So I literally had to call um, the Chamber of Commerce up in Colorado Springs, ask them to send me the visitor guide, and then ask for apartment listing guides. Um, so it physically came in the mail, um, and then I got those. So I rented this apartment, sight unseen, and I had to go through and find one I could afford, and I had no job, so it wasn't a great one. Um, I remember getting it, and I was on the middle level of a three-story apartment. And something you may not know about me is I played drums uh, growing up, and I liked fast and loud. And so I had the, uh, uh, some of you who, if you're a musician, an old-school drum set was called Sonar. They've since been bought out, but I love this drum set. It was a professional-level set. And it was the Power Tom model, which means it was extra long and big um, to be extra loud. That's pretty much the only reason that, that I mentioned that to you. Um, but I moved into this apartment, and I brought my drums with me because that was part of who I was at the time. I was playing in church praise um, worship bands and had this awesome set. But I was respectful because I'm a compassionate guy. So I put um, foam pads all over the, the drums so that they wouldn't, like, rock my neighbors, right? And I worked a night shift was the first job I got. So... I would try to sleep during the day, and all I heard every day was the neighbor upstairs vacuuming. It seemed like for hours on end, um, and I don't think they knew I could hear it, but I'm just like, in my mind, envisioning the amount of vacuuming you are giving, like your carpet has to be just shredded. Like there is no way that there's any floor left on your apartment. And most of the time it didn't matter. I was just tired enough. I'd go to sleep or I'd just get up. I was, 
I was a lot younger then, so I'd just get up and go play all day and then go to work and work all night, come back, sleep a couple hours, and then kind of repeat the cycle over and over again. But there was one day I was really tired, really trying to get to sleep. All I could hear was upstairs, and just that was it. And I couldn't handle it anymore. I kind of broke a little bit. Um, so being Jesus in the flesh to my neighbor, I decided to take the practice pads off my drums and work out some anger um, for about an hour. I just like just rocked that thing and I'm done and I'm feeling good. Like I'm like, okay, I've got back. They, they get it now. They can't vacuum enough. You know, I, confronting them, that would be the last thing I would do. But playing the drums, I'm sure I communicated the message that they need to be more quiet, right? So I get done. I'm feeling kind of stress relieved and I hear a knock on my door, a little tiny knock. I go to open it, and there's a, 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 a tiny little lady, and she's like, hey, um, I, I got a newborn. Would you be able to not play so loud um, so they can sleep? And my heart just died inside. I had retaliated. I was a jerk. And, yeah, you can say it. I think, you can think it because I'm saying it. Yeah, that's, that was me then. And uh, yeah, I still feel guilty, and maybe I'm working out my stuff in front of you. But the, the reality is, if I had to do over again, because of what I have gone through, the times people have shown me grace and compassion when I needed it, and the times when people haven't, and I wish they had, I would go back and do that all differently. I would have a lot more compassion for a mother of a small child trying to get the child to sleep, um, and I might not play the drums so loud. Maybe I still would. I don't know. I still got some stuff to do, right? Um, still some work to do in my heart. The bottom line is this. Our hurt will either leave us stuck in a painful place that leads to bitterness, or it can drive us to eliminate that hurt from the world around us. We're either going to get stuck in the anger and the bitterness, or we're going to determine in our hearts, we're going to allow God to work through us to make a change in the world so that we can start eliminating that, to drive a new passion. And I don't want to belittle the pain and the hurts that we go through. Sometimes we have to work those things out over years. But the reality is I believe God wants us to remember them so that we won't repeat them. So this morning I want to ask you to do something. It may be a little weird. I want you to put two fingers up. And I want you to tilt your head just a little bit. Take your pulse. Okay. Find it. Okay. You can stop now. So hopefully you had a pulse. If you did, I have great news for you. You are alive this morning. And the encouragement and the command really... Uh, that we see through Jesus in this passage of loving God with everything we are and then loving our neighbor as ourselves applies to you. If you didn't find your pulse, either you're doing it wrong or you really ought to seek medical attention. I think you ought to go check that out right now. Um, but if you are alive, I know, I know something that's true. You've been hurt. You've been neglected. You've been wronged. Sometime in your life, you needed compassion and you didn't get it. Because unfortunately, that's the way it is in the world in which we live. I wish it wasn't, and someday it won't be, but that's the world we live in right now. We all want to be cared for by the people around us, our friends, the people we work with, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our kids, our parents, our teachers, our coaches, people we spend time with. We want them to notice when we're hurting. We want them to be willing to get messy and involved, to give us a hand when we need it. So we can respond when we don't get that by saying, people didn't show me compassion, so I'm not going to show anybody else compassion. 
Or we can respond by saying, I'm going to show compassion because I didn't get compassion. And I don't want anyone to feel that. And just like my kids, when they like to point out everybody else is not doing so good, like their sisters are just kind of slacking while they're, of course, being superstar at chores. And I have to look my kid in the eye and say, it doesn't matter what I've asked your sisters to do. All that matters is what I've asked you to do. I think God is saying the same thing to us through this story of the Good Samaritan. God is saying, what have I asked you to do? There's unlimited needs around us, and we get to choose which ones we notice, which ones we get to feel, and ultimately which ones we take action to change. If you've never experienced the grace and compassion of Jesus Christ, I just have some awesome news that today can be your day. You can say yes to Jesus this morning, and you can start down in a relationship with the God who created you. And you're going to find that as you draw near to God and take further steps towards him, that he's going to start working on your heart so that it starts to mirror and look like his for the people around you. Ultimately, the series that we're in, Tin Man, is about compassion. If you haven't figured that out, we probably said the word a hundred times this morning. We want to examine our hearts and our need to go and feel deeper for the people around us and the things that affect God. And we want to present a a heart changed by Jesus to the world around us in a way that honors God. And so I'm excited to share with you an unbelievable opportunity that we are going to have to share the love of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. At the end of this series on November 28th and December 2nd, we're going to have the opportunity to sponsor children from a city uh, called Bobo de Lasso in the country of Burkina Faso. And we put it on a map. And we, if, if you're like me, I'd never heard of it, number one. Um, n- number two, I had no idea how to say it. And it sounds funny to say it. It really does. Can you say it to me, with me together? Bobo de Lasso. Ready? Bobo de Lasso. Yeah, it's, weird. it's a weird city. Um, we'll call it Bobo for short. But it's red in the map. And if we put about two-thirds the way from the right to the left, um, if you put a dot there, that's where the city of Bobo de Lasso is. When Pastor Brian uh, went to Africa recently, he was made aware of the immense need in this region of the world. And he felt like ACF Church needed to step, uh, had the opportunity and needs to step up and can do something about it. Um, So we are partnering with an organization called Compassion International. And they're well-respected, well-run. They uh, all the time appear on the top of uh, charitable organizations' uh, use of finances. Um, So they they are super open in how they do things. And together, we've set a goal, an audacious goal, to sponsor 400 kids in the city of Bobo de Lasso. That's a huge goal. 400 is not just a a number that we decided, well, it's a nice round number. We can pick that up, and it sounds cool. Uh, We asked Compassion International, how many kids are you aware of in Bobo de Lasso that that you know have a need through your organization? And they said, we have 400 kids. We want to get them all. Not only will we be providing them the opportunity for medical care, uh, access to that, uh, education, uh, uh, food, They'll learn about Jesus Christ, and they'll be connected to a local church. But not only that, because we would sponsor every child in this city that, is, that 
they are aware of that has a need. We have the opportunity to change an entire region in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that's pretty cool. It's a huge goal that I know that we can meet uh, as a church family together. And you're going to hear throughout the month a lot more about that and what that looks like, why we, we've, we've chosen to do this and how that looks. Uh, we've made some info banners, and those are in the uh, lobby for you to check out. You can also go to uh, our website at acfak.org slash, and get it, Bobo. Um, so hopefully easy to remember. Um, I always think of Bobo the Clown, but it's like this is a real city um, that has a desperate need. And it's about 530,000 people is in the entire city there. So uh, you're going to hear a little bit more about that. I encourage you to go check out more. And again, um, November 28th, December 2nd uh, is when we're going to have a chance as a church family to really show compassion to a region of the world that is lacking uh, greatly in compassion and has a great need. So, uh, so there we are. Would you pray with me as we close this, this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God who uh, didn't just give us directives and walk away, Lord, but uh, you wanted to reveal who you were. And who you are, Lord, is someone who loves passionately. And Lord, you prove that by sending Jesus Christ, the ultimate act of, of love and compassion. You demonstrated your love that while we were still walking away from you, while we were still sinners, deserving of nothing but death, you died for us. Jesus came and lived the, the perfect life that we could not, and he died the death we deserved. And he rose from the dead through your power and is alive today, willing to change any life that comes to him. Lord, I thank you that we have that opportunity. We don't have to be trapped in a dark place, living just for ourselves, but Lord, we can be we can be co-workers with you in what is going on in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use us in your plan to change the city of Eagle River and the state of Alaska so that your name would be, would be known and that people would know they can have freedom and have purpose in life. And, Lord, beyond that, around the world, we pray that you would make your name known and that you would use us to play a part. Lord, help us to be a people that ultimately, when we hear of a need, we feel that need, and we do something about it with the resources that you have given us. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much.